0: Welcome to another episode of the Family Discipleship Podcast. I'm your host, Christian Horseman, and my prayer for you is that the Lord would be pleased to bless this show and use it to provide you as a Christian parent with gospel centered, grace driven ideas and encouragement for shepherding your children's hearts and cultivating your family's relationships with Jesus and with each other. All right, friends, welcome back to this episode of the Family Discipleship Podcast. Today, I'm very pleased to welcome our guest, uh, Davis Carman. Uh You might know him from Apologia Ministries. Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited to have him here today. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, building a homeschool castle to last for generations. And uh, that's a really unique term, uh, homeschool castle, that uh, I actually hadn't really thought about till a few days ago, actually. Um, We'll get to that in just a second. Uh, For those of you who may not know uh, Mr. Carmen, um, he got started on his homeschool adventure with a providential two-by-four on the side of his head. So (laughs) maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. Um, So 26 years and seven graduates later, he likes to share some of the lessons that he's learned along the way and help other uh, homeschool families enjoy a successful, satisfying, and Christ-centered homeschool experience. Uh, Like I said, he's the president of Apology and Ministries, the number one publisher of creation-based science, math, and Bible curriculum for homeschoolers. And uh, you can follow him on his blog, Apologia.com slash blog, or also the Let's Talk Homeschool podcast. And we'll have all the links for that and social media and all that good stuff in the links with this episode. So um, let's jump right into our topic. Like I said, building a homeschool castle to last for generations. So we're going to talk about um, basically what we mean by that is a multi-generational homeschool legacy. Um, So I I love, uh, I actually read a blog um, post of yours a few days ago and I was like you know, I was thinking of things we could talk about and I was like I love this I love this analogy and uh, we'll get to that in a second but um, you know we're just going to compare the homeschool journey to you know, like constructing a medieval castle and um, for those of you who know me really well you'll know that medieval history is a big uh, favorite topic of mine so I love the castles cathedrals you know all that good stuff um, so I really like that analogy personally but uh, you know there is a sense though where homeschooling is really like building uh, a castle you know something strong that lasts for you know, ages, generations, and, uh, you know, really symbol of strength, a good foundation, all that, all that stuff. So, but with the Lord's blessing, um, right, that the castle stands the test of time. So, uh, Mr. Carmen, um, let's you uh, kind of get going here. I, uh, like I said, I, I got this idea from your blog post. Um, and in that post, you were talking about um, how you you met another homeschool family from the UK. And that's kind of how you um, led into that analogy. So can you tell us a little bit about that? You know, recap that story for
1: us. Sure. Thanks for having me on your show. This is a yeah. great to have a conversation like this. And yeah, uh, I I do like the term homeschool castle because of everything you just said. It, um, it can paint a picture in a person's mind of all the features of a castle that could be compared to a homeschool family and the discipleship and everything that you're trying to do as a homeschooling family. Uh, But then there's also, like you said, the age of castles. Uh, These things are seven, eight, 900 years old. So they have stood the test of time. uh, But somebody was building it probably with an idea that it would last a really long time. And then there's a third feature I'd like to talk about in our conversation today. And that's the time it takes to build a castle. Uh, I think that's that's a little different than the age of the castle, uh, because these things didn't get built with cranes. Um, and in a matter of three, four or five years, they took generations to build, sometimes 50, 75, 100 years, just for the construction time. Wow. So uh, we'll cover some of that. But yeah, the the genesis of this idea was uh, over a decade ago, I got an email from a family that was homeschooling in the UK, and they were coming to the United States for a long vacation. Mm-hmm. And they had you know different sites and landmarks and parks that they wanted to visit while they were here, but they were flying into Charlotte, North Carolina, and they wanted to see if they could also meet another homeschool family from the U.S. while they were here. Right. So uh, this email uh, you know found its way to me, and uh, Rachel and I agreed to meet with them and go out to lunch when they landed before they started their journey, and it, w- it was just fascinating to talk about. Homeschooling in the UK versus homeschooling in the US. There, there's definitely some differences there, uh, but it was also really neat to uh, to see them as a family of four, mom, dad, and two daughters, uh, going on this long vacation together. They had a plan. This was this was not just a pure vacation. There was going to be some education and history and culture that they got to see and learn along the way. So it was just fun to see uh, a family. Enjoy time together, uh, doing life intentionally, and you know, hanging out as a this little amoeba that stayed together the whole way around. Uh, but they gave us a gift at the end of their our you know short time that day, and it was a book about with the pictures and stories about the castles of Wales, and it's just a beautifully illustrated book. And so I left that meeting with an idea in my mind starting to form that eventually became, you know, what I call homeschool castles. Uh, So that's, that's kind of the genesis of the idea where it all originated. And then it, I've given presentations on this topic through the years as I formed it. And, and uh, then, you know, recently wrote a a blog again with some new and fresh ideas that were, uh, you know, part of my thinking recently. Right,
0: right. And I think that's the article that I, I saw.
1: So <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's wonderful.
0: So it sounds like you had a wonderful time together. And uh, that that book, I would, sounds like a book I would like to read. Um, but for now, um, can you, so can you expand a little bit on, you know, the analogy between homeschooling and castle building? So what are some of the parallels you see? And I think you mentioned some of them already, but, uh, you know, you can you talk a little bit about those?
1: Right. So, um, the three main things that I, I think we can cover in this conversation are the features, or at least some of the features of a castle, right. uh, and when you, and, and then the uh, time it takes to build a castle, and then the third would be the age of a castle itself. So, okay. on the features, th- let's t- look at three features, um, and m- almost every castle has the following. That I think would be really cool if our own homes had, and I think we can in a um I'll say a theoretical or a practical way, maybe not an actual room. Right. And that is a chapel. Mm-hmm. Almost every castle has an actual chapel. It may be very small: four by four, six by six, eight by eight, but it's a place, um, often having kneeling benches mm-hmm. where and a window where you can. Get on your knees with a window to the sky to pray. Indiv- as an individual uh, with your spouse or with your family. Now, some uh, castles have more elaborate chapels that look like a, you know, a place that could see twenty or thirty people as they brought other family members in to have you know a time together. And so the analogy there in my mind is one of the uh, the biggest. Uh, recommendations I give to homeschool families is to make sure you incorporate a family worship time into your routine. Whether that's in the morning, if you're heading off to work, uh, or if you get to work out out of a home office, maybe it's during lunchtime, uh, or maybe it's at bedtime before you put the kids to bed. But a time where you gather everybody and you read some scripture, sing some hymns, uh, get on your knees and pray, answer some questions that the kids might have, disciple them and uh, but again where this is a regular part of what you do so for instance in our house we we, our second floor doesn't really have a hallway it has like this big open room with all the bedrooms you know off of this room and we actually call that room the gathering room so we we didn't call it a chapel but our kids understood that most of the time we had our family worship in the gathering room where we gathered together either to you know kind of get everybody before we go downstairs to start the day, or maybe when we ended the day, let's all, Hey kids, let's all go meet in the gathering room. That meant it's time for family worship and everybody's gets their pajamas on, gets ready and does their routine. So a chapel, if you can think of having a chapel in your homeschool castle or your home by incorporating family worship, yeah. uh, the other is the moat. I mean, everybody knows that a castle has a moat. And what is the purpose of that? It's for protection purposes. So there's many other defensive features of a castle. But so if you think of a moat, you understand the idea that you want to protect your castle, your family, your community from the dangers that are outside. And so, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is, you know, the classic question that homeschoolers get asked. What about socialization? <laughs> and and yeah. it's interesting, you know, there's been plenty of st- studies. Matter of fact, uh, the National Center for Education Statistics, a a neutral, uh, you know, group had did studies for years asking people what their number one reason for homeschooling. And in the early 2000s, the answer was because of negative social, uh, you know, pressures and problems in the school. That was right. 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's plenty of bigger socialization problems these days oh, yes. that, are, that are indeed causing folks uh, you know, not to go back to the public schools or to get their kids out. Mm-hmm. So when you think of uh, your family and your homeschool and compare it to a castle, it's it's natural. It's good to have defensive things in place to protect your kids as you're training them as they're learning, as they're growing, as, so that as they get older, you can launch them out to be, you know, the, the the light, the soldiers, the arrows to go out and make a difference in the world, but when they're ready. Uh, and then the third um, feature that I'll, I'll bring up right now is the dining room. Uh, sometimes it's the ballroom, but castles don't have little dining rooms. They have these Huge rooms with massive Viking tables, right? Big yep. chairs. You know all the trophies along the wall, big chandeliers. <laughs> I mean, this is a room where something important is happening, um, and it might just be the regular breakfast, lunch, or dinner that they're having during the day, or it could be the family celebrations, the weddings, the funerals, the you know the uh, you, you know, after church services. But right. the point is, the family. Meeting together, not not eating, you know, on their own, but everybody gathers together in this room to share a meal, to share a conversation, to share life, and I, I really believe that today in our homes the uh, the opportunity to share meals together is so important. Um, so much good can happen. Uh, Deuteronomy six to, says to teach our kids um to love, you know, God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. And then he gives four practical times you can do this. When you rise up and when you lie down, when you walk along the way and when you sit. And sitting at the mealtime is a great chance to do this. And, and I you know, we have seven kids. Uh, they have all graduated our homeschool. Three of them are married. We have seven grandkids with two more on the way this year. But one of the biggest um things that all of our kids told us when they left our nest and they were out on their own, whether at college or working or in a different city, when they would talk to their peers, their peers did not have this regular family meal time. Um, our kids would talk about it like it was just what everybody does. And when uh, their peers would say, well, wait a second, you're you're talking as though you had a meal together, you know, every day. And our kids would say, well, Yep, pretty much so. <laughs> um, and and so it was very formative for our year or for our kids. Right. We had conversations that lasted sometimes hours. Uh everybody had a part to play. Sometimes it was cooking, sometimes it was just the conversation, learning how to listen, and we'd memorize verses at the table. That was a big thing we did. Uh, but then cleanup. Everybody had some kind of cleanup responsibility. So it was a literal family affair. At mealtime, so again, think of the home, the fan, uh, the homeschool castle, the idea of this important room that's really big and elaborate, uh, called the dining room or the ballroom. Right. And so, no matter how big your kitchen table is or how small it is, how big or open or small your kitchen is, that's a place where a lot of good, big, and important things can happen as a family. Right. Right.
0: Yeah. I was as you are saying that I was thinking about uh, you know in the Bible, especially like uh, well, both Old and New Testament. It's like um, you think of some of the major important moments in, you know, Bible history, you know, it was centered around a meal, um, you know, especially when it was like, you know, God directly interacting with, you know, one of his people or something like that. It was, you know, they would have a meal together and it was like, you know, yeah, you're right. It was a time of relationship building basically. Um, so yeah, I love that. And, you know, sometimes I think, um, you know, we, we even think, you know, uh, okay. Yeah. Family worship. And, you know, we, we are aware that, you know, yeah, we need a moat to protect our, you know, castle, um, sometimes I think we forget, you know, the dining room too. So that's, that's a great point. So, um, yeah. So, so those sh- are some of the, yeah. so there's some of yeah. the features,
1: right. Um, but well, uh, you know, one of the other things I wanted to mention is uh, the age, um, the age of a castle. Right. So again, these, uh, these castles are typically uh, you know, hundreds of years old uh, um, at Apologia. We actually um, put a castle on one of our catalog covers years ago Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful castle, but it was only a hundred years old. And I, <laughs> I felt like we needed to put one that was a little older on the cover, right? Uh, but, but most of these, you know, are literally five, six, seven, eight hundred years old. So yes. they have stood the test of time. However, so now let's let's do the analogy to homeschooling. How long is your homeschool going to last? So I'm from North Carolina and I served for 12 years on the NCHE board, the North Carolinians for home education. Mm -hmm. And we have really good stats in North Carolina of how many uh, families notify the state that they're going to homeschool, how many homeschools, you know, have ended and how long each homeschool actually lasts. And here's some stats that are very consistent, no matter whether you started your homeschool in 1995 2005 or 2015, typically 20% of those that start quit after the first year. Then after the second year, another 20% drop out for one reason or another. By the third year, it's about 10%, so it's getting better. And by the fourth year, it's only about 5%, and then the curve pretty much levels out. And you see this very consistently, no matter which cohort you were in, so to speak, as you were beginning your journey. And so the way I like to say this to folks is, yes, homeschooling is something you got to figure out. It's not easy. There's a lot of sacrifices, but don't give up. Make sure you persevere for at least three or four years. Give yourself that fair chance. And not everybody will make it for one reason or another. But if you can last three or four years, you're probably going to be in the club. And you're going right. to make it and last for the rest of the way. And when I think of our own family's homeschool journey, it pretty well lined up with that. Um, you know, you read my bio. We got started with a providential two by four over the head. <laughs> what I mean by that is we were not planning on homeschooling. We knew three people in the world that homeschooled when we started in 1996. And uh, we moved to a, an area of Charlotte that had a good public school. On, and that we did that on purpose so that our kid could go to that school. Right. And uh, I have a whole workshop where I talk about our journey. Uh, but a long story short, after 13 days, I pulled my son out on a Friday and we didn't have a clue what we were going to do on Monday. And after lots of conversations and prayers, I w- was uh, talking to my wife and I said, You know, honey, we've been praying for our son's teacher all summer long. I think we've been praying for you. <laughs> and that's how we got started, uh, kicking and screaming the first year.
2: In a world full of questionable content, a wholesome book that uplifts the soul is a precious gift. This is exactly what you'll find in a newly revived classic called Faith Stanby, a story from the time of the French Revolution, from the beloved 18th century children's writer. Charlotte Maria Tucker. Perfect for either yourself to read or for the young adult reader in your life, this gripping tale whisks you back to the 1790s, as Faith Stanby makes a selfless sacrifice, leaving her home in England and crossing over to war-torn France. There, in the midst of violence, hatred, and treachery, Faith's morals and convictions are put to the test. Will she be able to serve her lady faithfully and still maintain her relationship with the Lord? Will she stand up for the truth, despite the threats of a treacherous fellow servant? Will she escape from the murderous mob of revolutionaries that is pursuing her? And will she have the courage to remain firm in her faith, even at the foot of the guillotine itself? Let faith's bold, unwavering example encourage you and your children to strengthen your own relationship with God. Available in both paperback and ebook formats. Go to familydiscipleshippodcast.net slash faith to get your copy today.
1: And so we, we you know, since we were so reluctant and it wasn't part of our plan, that first year was really tough. Right. Uh, but at the end of the year one, we went to a homeschool conference. Um, not because we were planning to do this again, but just to kind of get away from everything. And we went to some workshops that basically turned a light bulb on for us. And suddenly we were making that 90-minute drive back home, talking the whole way about wait a second, let's wipe the slate clean. Let's 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 try this again. Let's try rethink again. this and yeah. let's let's make this ours. Let's put together a few goals for this year. And so that second year was a lot better, um, but not perfect. We were excited to go to the conference again after the second year this time, though. And then we made some more adjustments. By the third year, we're writing educational philosophies. And by year four, with a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 4-year-old, and a newborn, we were committed to this for the long haul. People would ask us, well, what about high school? What about college? I don't know but I know that this has been really good for our family and I can see the potential. This is so much better than what my son was experienced. It it was, he was going to die a cruel, slow, horrible death if we kept him in the public school, which is why I pulled him out that Friday. Mm -hmm. But I can see so much excitement in my kids to learn. And so I knew it was good, but I didn't have all the answers. But we were committed by year four. So that's a very common story I hear in terms of the the age of a homeschool. So if you can make it three or four years, you're probably gonna make it to the end. Um, and then the next question is, well, but what what about after you graduate all your kids? Is that the end of the story? And I'll say I hope not. Um, I, I hope my kids homeschool better than Rachel and I did. And right now, like I say, we've got seven grandkids. The oldest ones are eight, six, and three. So everybody else is, you know, we have three one-year-olds and two that are about to be born. Uh, so uh, they're all homeschooling. They all plan to homeschool right now, the, at least the, the ones with kids. And so, uh, you know, we're off to a good start in terms of this generational legacy where this homeschool might last 900 years. That, that's my personal vision is yeah. to have this last as long as a castle would. And, and I can't see far that far out. But if I can instill that idea and talk about it and dream about it and pray about it, I'm I, I do indeed pray that you know my kids will homeschool, my grandkids will homeschool, my great grandkids will kids will homeschool. So that's that's step part two. And then the third is, you know, the uh, the time to build a homeschool. Um okay. You know the here's the here's what happens with castles. The first generation has this grand idea. Let's build a, this awesome castle. It can be a cathedral where we worship God, where f- our family lives, uh, and all this. And they know that they are not going to finish this thing. They're going to be buried in the cemetery next door to this castle. But they get started. They build the foundation. Maybe they filled a few walls. Their kids build some more walls, maybe get up to a roof. And the third generation finishes some walls, finishes the roof, does some of the interior. It, it typically took about three generations, you know, which could be about 75 years to build these castles way back when. And so as you think of your homeschool, um, you, you got to think in terms of what are your kids going to do? What are your grandkids want to do? If you have a vision for your grandkids, grandkids, and great-grandkids to homeschool, and you're not going to be the one to do it. I'm not going to be homeschooling my great-grandkids. I might have a play and a hand in some of my grandkids, but I'm not doing it the day-to-day work, but I can encourage my kids as they teach my grandkids, and we can uh, talk about this idea, this vision, this beauty of family life, of all the things you can do as a homeschool family that you can't do in any other setting, private, public, or anything else, or just the the sky's the limit, quite frankly. And so casting that vision, talking about it, uh, encouraging and supporting your family can all help towards the building of your own homeschool castle. So even though Rachel and I officially finished in May of 22, when 26 years later, our seventh child finished, we had to officially close our homeschool in North Carolina. In many ways, I believe our homeschool is still open because we have grandkids, you know, starting the process now.
0: Right. Oh, praise the Lord for that. I love that. And uh, you know, I I think that's uh, you know, sometimes we always talk about, you know, whether we're successful in our homeschooling or not. Um, and I think uh, you know, again, that's that's kind of a subjective, you know, depending on whose standard, right? But um by that standard, you know, if if your homeschool is lasting for multiple generations, I think that's a very successful homeschool because um, you know, when you think about it sometimes I don't think, you know, we always have that long-term vision, you know, beyond the here and now. Um, But that's ultimately what it should be. Right. Because we're, you know, we're doing this for God's glory, you know, ultimately we're building his kingdom and obviously his kingdom isn't being built in one generation. Right. So, you know, kind of like you're saying, you'll build a little bit of wall and then, you know, the next generation comes and you know builds a little bit more and adds to it. Um, So, so in a way it's, you know, kind of a a micro picture of, you know, the way Christ's kingdom is, is built and is being built. And will continue to be built, so I love that. So um, well, we're almost out of time, um, which is really kind of sad. But I did want to ask you one more question before we uh, start to wrap up. So, um, what are some potential challenges or obstacles that you know parents might face, and you know, trying to build this multi-generational, um, you know, system uh, in their homeschool? And you know, what are some ways that they can uh, meet those challenges, or you know, face them or how? Have...
1: Yeah. So the the two challenges that I'll mention today. Uh, are perseverance and the high school years. So with, with perseverance, I think that boils down to those first three or four years uh, when maybe you got started because of COVID and it wasn't part of your plan. And, um, and yet you found out, wow, this, this actually worked a little better than I thought it might. Let's, let's (laughs) give it another try. Yeah. Uh, And so you saw some families do that. It's like they, because, I don't think a family can really understand what it's like to homeschool until they actually do it. Yeah. Uh, because we, just like Rachel and I, we had a preconceived idea of what homeschooling would look like, and it seemed impossible. And yet it's actually much more freeing and less stressful than getting your kids up at ridiculous hours to catch a bus and doing homework late at night until they're exhausted. So there, there's so many benefits, but the perseverance is the one where people can really struggle those first one, two, three or four years where they just they're, they're struggling to figure out the rhythm, the routine, or what I like to call the freedom of homeschooling. And so uh, I want to encourage folks, if you're at that end of the uh, you know, your journey, you're early in this, don't give up, don't ring the bell, stay in the game persevere because if you can again if you can last three or four years and kind of just work through some of the bugs um, you're probably going to figure something out because you're going the more your time you spend with your kids the more you're going to get to know them the more you're actually going to love them a lot of people think you're going to get on each other's nerves the more time you spend together but we found we enjoyed being with our kids the more time we spent with them Uh, so perseverance is one but then the high school year. So you make it through the first three or four, then you're kind of doing pretty good for the late elementary and you know maybe junior high years. And then suddenly, oh no, my my oldest kid's about to enter ninth grade. we got to get serious. We got to go to a real school and get a real diploma. And I it just breaks my heart, honestly, when families quit at when it comes time to high school, thinking, that a public or private school diploma is a real diploma. Here's what I will tell you, and it's not just because I'm an advocate or a proponent of homeschooling. I literally believe this is true. The most valuable diploma a person can get these days is a homeschool high school diploma. So why do I say that? I I say it largely based on my kids' own experiences as they uh, went on to the workforce and Uh, Into college. So, on the college front, colleges are actively recruiting homeschoolers. They've been for several years. So, when my oldest graduated high school in 2009, we were just ending a period where folks weren't real sure how homeschoolers would do in college. So, there actually was a little bit of reluctance back then and a little bit of hurdles you had to overcome. But by the time my second son graduated in 2011, they were beginning to see, wow, these these homeschool students manage their time well. They're here on purpose. They're good students. They're active in the community, uh, you know, the campus community. They, they're We want them. And by the time my, you know, last two or three kids were there, they're getting, they could basically say, you know, they could ask for the moon in terms of scholarships and they would pretty much get it. Uh, but all my kids uh, got scholarships. They worked while they went to school. Uh, None of them had to get any college debt uh, to make it through. And sometimes that meant you didn't go to the school you wanted to go to, and you had to find a less expensive alternative. And one of my sons took the long path. It took him six years to complete his education after high school, but he went on this amazing journey. He did an online school that lasted 18 months. And uh, it was l- how to learn how to animate movies. And he ended up getting a tour at Pixar. They they were looking to hire students at the time. And uh, when they looked at his portfolio, they said, you're too good of an artist to just get stuck pigeonholed animating movies. You need to go to college and get an art degree. And so that's what ended up leaning him to college. He was He was just going to go straight to work and now he's a you know he's he's a, he's married he's got uh, two kids with one on the way has a house and is a uh, he's not a starving artist he's a, <laughs> an artist that's doing really well and he's got a good foundation in god uh, but more than anything he took this interesting route and he did a couple internships at places along the way as he just kind of took his time uh not focusing on the degree but on the experiences he could get to improve his portfolio which he did, and ultimately ended up with a college degree as well. Uh, right. but with um with scholarships that were just uh, amazing. And, and i'll I'll finish with this story about him. So, you know, he was on the early, and my my younger kids, uh, my yo- actually my younger two got both athletic scholarships and academic scholarships. but we, we had similar stories with all of my kids, but with my number two son, when he was ready to go for the last two years of, his, of the six-year journey, uh, which were to get an art degree from a very expensive art school, uh, they gave him some really nice scholarships. They liked his portfolio, uh, but there was a gap in money. Um, and there was only so much he had, only so much I could contribute, and then the scholarships. And there was a, it was a $7,000 gap, even with the scholarships they'd given him. And so I told him, I said, you know, they're really, they really act like they want you. I I think you should go back to them and call them and say, hey, I really want to go to your school, but there's a gap in money. If I can get 10,000 more, I can make it work. So he asked for 10, and they said, we can give you seven. And it bridged the gap, and he was able to go there. So I just love stories like that. And that was on top of the other scholarships they'd already put on the table. So I truly believe from real life experience, um, colleges and employers are actively looking for homeschool students because they make good employees. They make good students. And so I believe a homeschool high school diploma is actually the most valuable one you could uh, get. So the challenge is high school. Don't view it that way. View it as I I wish my kids would homeschool in high school because that's the best you know, passport to their next part of their life.
0: Right. Right. Thank you so much. And that's, that's a wonderful story. praise the Lord for that. So, but so we're um, down to about one minute left. So I'm going to have to wrap this up. It was a pleasure talking to you and I definitely want to have you back again. Uh, hopefully not, not uh, too distant future. So thank you so much for you know sharing your heart. Uh, I really, like I said, really love the castle analogy. And uh, so thank you. I hope uh, this conversation was a blessing to our listeners and, uh, See you next time. You've been listening to the Family Discipleship Podcast. I truly hope that you've been blessed and encouraged by the things we've covered today. And I'd love to hear your feedback, questions, or even suggestions for a particular guest or topic that you would like to see featured on a future episode. Feel free to email host at net. And don't forget to follow the show on social media and subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss new episodes as they're released. I hope you'll be able to join us again next week, but in the meantime, I pray that the Lord will continue to bless your family as you endeavor to shepherd your children's hearts and cultivate your family's relationships with Jesus and with each other.